You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Liberty Family Church. For more information about our church, head to the website, libertyfamilychurch.net.au. Okay, so today we are going to continue our journey in God's story. And this time we're going to explore what I believe is one of the most beautifully written and engaging books in all of Scripture. Anyone want to have a guess? Esther, that's right, the book of Esther. So how about we pray as we, as we open up God's Word and just invite God to really speak to and minister to our hearts this morning. Yes, Lord, we just so need you, God. We need you, Holy Spirit, so that the words that are said are not just words that are heard, but they're words that are said and your word that is spoken that causes just a beautiful spirit heart transformation in our own lives, God. We don't want your words to just fall on deaf ears, God. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see, Lord, what you are saying to us through your word today. We thank you, Lord, that it's not too hard for you to share one word through one man that speaks to all these people in different ways. You can do that, God. And we pray that you would do that today. So Lord, as we, as we reflect on, on the book of Esther and this, this masterpiece, really, we just pray, Lord, that you would move in our hearts and teach us and guide us and strengthen us in all the ways that you want to this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Where's God in all of this? Have you ever asked that question before? Maybe not verbalized it, but thought it in here. Where's God in all of this? Is God still at work, even when I don't see evidence that he's doing much at all? You know, all of us who've lived longer than a couple of years... Like my little son, Judah, he was born into COVID, so it's kind of all he's ever known. But for those of us who've, who've lived a little longer than that, no doubt we've faced some, some challenges in life. Life's not uh, smooth sailing all the time, is it? Whether the season for you was, was COVID, maybe a health or relationship crisis, a workplace challenge, most of us have from time to time, and even now, we continue to face, in different ways, really challenging seasons in life. Seasons where we might, we might pose those questions to God, or we might even just think those questions that I said just before. Or, if we're, if we're listening to this today and, and we wouldn't yet call ourselves a follower of Jesus, maybe we're just seeking spiritual truth, at times we might kind of look at the the lack of intervention or care from a God as being evidence that he doesn't actually care, that he's he's not as good as he claims to be, that he's not the loving father that we sing of. Now, for those of us who've been in this journey in God's story for some time, we'd know that the very opposite is in fact true. Scripture, time and time again, declares that God does care, that he's far from silent and he's far better, he's far gooder than we could ever even imagine. 
He's far more good than we could ever imagine. All throughout our journey in the Old Testament this year, we've seen God continues to just reach out to his people, continues to give olive branch after olive branch after olive branch to people who often are saying a big, no thanks God, in pretty offensive ways to him. And yet he's faithful. He still wants to see his people treated with love, care and compassion. And he still wants to see his covenant promises, the promises that he made to Abraham many years before, realized despite their rebellion against him. And the book of Esther, in a somewhat veiled or hidden way, continues on this very same trajectory. The book of Esther continues to declare the faithfulness of God in keeping his promises, in doing exactly what he says he'll do. So if you're not familiar with the book of Esther, we we don't have time to read it all today, so read it for yourself this week. I really encourage you, it is a literary masterpiece. Like, if you, yeah, it's just so beautifully written and the way that the writer crafted it makes it just so engaging. And yeah, I could go on all day about how interesting it is and how it's set up and different feasts correspond with other feasts later on and things like that. Explore it for yourself. Read it for yourself. You won't regret it. As uh, my ESV study Bible says, it says the book of Esther is a story par excellence. It has virtually all the ingredients that people through the ages have most loved in a story. A beautiful and courageous heroine, a romantic love thread, a dire threat to the good characters, a thoroughly evil villain, suspense, dramatic irony, evocative descriptions of exotic places, sudden reversals of action, poetic justice, and a happy ending. Sounds like a Hollywood fairy tale, doesn't it? So do yourself a favour and set aside some time to read it this week. It, It really is an absolute masterpiece. But for today's sake, let me just give a very quick background and overview of the story. So the book of Esther is set around the the same times as the books that we looked at last week of Ezra and Nehemiah. This was a time when Persia were one of the dominant superforces in in power, in in history. They, They were the ones who came. Remember how the Israelites were taken into Babylon by the Babylonians? Well, the Persians came along and took over Babylon. And so they defeated the Babylonians. They'd taken this great city of Babylon. And as we were reminded of last week, whilst some of God's people made the decision, we're going to head back. We're going to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and their homeland. Many Israelites chose to just stay put. Um, We read the other week about how God encouraged them to seek the peace of the city. In other words, to, to immerse themselves in community life, even in Babylon, to, to kind of show what he's like to foreign people who don't worship him. And so some of them actually decided, you know what, we're just going to stay put here. We're not going to go back. And so this is right here who we're introduced to, two Israelites who decided to stay put and who play lead roles in the story, Esther and Mordecai. Quickly on, if you, if you read, you discover that these guys, they're related. Esther 
is Mordecai's cousin, and um, Mordecai is her guardian. Mordecai actually took Esther in to his care after her parents passed away. And both Esther and Mordecai are shown to be, it seems, from what we can tell from Scripture, they're pretty content living there in what is Susa, which is like modern-day Iran, if you like geography. Um, They're quite happy living there, and there's no mention at all of their faith or trust in God. In fact, here's a, a little bit of curious trivia for you. What's, what's the one thing that's not mentioned at all in the entire book of Esther? God. Not once in the entire book of Esther is God mentioned at all by name. And this, of course, makes Esther quite a unique book in the Bible. And over the ages, it's caused some to sort of even question, well, why is it even in here if it doesn't contain God? Which we'll... we'll See what you think at the end of this. But this, this little fact should make us curious as the reader. In, in many ways, it should cause us to consider and ask ourselves these kind of questions ourselves. Well, where's God in all of this? Is God still at work? Even when I don't see any evidence that he's doing anything much at all. In the first couple of chapters of Esther, we see one king's demise and another's rise. When the king of Persia, he's a a man by the name of Xerxes, he gets tanked, pretty simply. Seven days of reveling, seven days of eating and drinking, he's pretty pretty tanked up. Or as the Bible says, he becomes merry with with wine. I think that would probably be an understatement. As Esther 1.10 puts it, yep, he gets super upset with his lovely-to-look-at wife. Now, I'm not saying that. That's what the Bible says, all right? Verse 11 describes his wife as lovely to look at. Now, why does the king crack it with his lovely to look at wife? Pretty, pretty simply because she doesn't want to be perved on by him and all of his companions. He says, hey, come, come over here, wife. We, I want to parade around and show off your goods and I'm just going to enjoy it and so are all these other people with me. And she says, no thanks, I'm not going to do that. I'm not an object. I'm not going to lower myself to that level, which is incredible because if anyone knows uh, history and biblical history, you'd know you don't refuse any command of a king. You refuse a command, you're dead. Like, that's it. That's pretty well it. So the king, though, a bit of, bit of grace and mercy here perhaps, or maybe because he was drunk, I don't know, but... He, this, this public betrayal actually leads to the king banishing this queen from his presence and removing her as queen over all of Persia. And Vashti's gone. She's queen no more. Now, it's, it's an interesting little twist, and if you, if you read through the story, you'll notice this, but when King Xerxes is sober, when he's sober, it's almost like there's this tinge of regret that he's done what he's done. Have a, have a read this week, see if you pick that up. But he kinds, kinds of, it, like a moment of kind of, oh, what have I done? And then all of a sudden his companions say, hey, why don't we hold a beauty contest? Then you can get an even more beautiful queen. And he's like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Let's do that. And this is pretty incredible that Esther eventually 
wins this contest and moves into the palace as queen. And then in Esther 3, chapter 3 to 9, we, we meet this like supervillain. He'd, he'd like be more, more villainous than a Bond villain. Like this, this guy is seriously evil. Who, a man called Haman who's plotting to destroy the Jews. And in many ways, this is the beauty in how this is written. The writer writes it, portrays him as this egotistical, narcissistic madman, really. Like, yeah, read it for yourself. It's fantastic. And I'd say that's probably a fair description. And you read it and you're like, man, this guy has hatred for Mordecai like nothing else. What, what is he, what's his issue with Mordecai? What's his issue with the Jewish people? It's like portraying him as like a, an ancient Hitler here. Really? It's what it is. It's really extreme. And when you look at it, it is. It's, it's full on. But there's something underneath that's actually fueling his hatred for Mordecai and fueling his hatred for the Jewish people. In Esther 3.1, we learn that Haman is an Agagite, a descendant of Agag, who was a previous king of the Amalekites. Now, I know you're kind of going Amalekites, Vegemites, Jebusites and that, but just stick with me for a sec. The, the Amalekites, if you can think all the way back to Exodus chapter 17, they're actually an ancient enemy of Israel. They're an ancient enemy of Israel. And here we go, the plot thickens. This is how, oh man, I love this book. Guess who Mordecai is a descendant of? Have a guess. Thinking back to those times. The one I said. Well, he is. But Mordecai is a descendant of a king of Israel by the name of King Saul. Now, who defeated the Amalekites all those years ago? King Saul. How's that? So, so he's holding this grudge over a period of like, I think it's 500 years maybe, something like that. This is like a, a long time grudge that Haman is holding against the Jews and Mordecai as a, as a historical, based on historical things that had happened. And so I guess knowing this backstory to at least to some degree maybe helps us understand why Haman had this, this burning desire to destroy the Jewish nation. But still, I mean, he's, he's a nut job, as we can see. He's trying to seek revenge. And so in, in the story, we see Haman, all of a sudden, he rises to second in command in all the land, and then he gets the king's permission to start the early workings of his evil plan. Now, around the same time, Mordecai, he discovers that someone was going to plot against the king, and someone wanted to harm the king. And so what does he do? He, he t- sends word to Esther, living in with the king, and she lets the king know, and then the king is spared. He's saved from harm. And soon after that, I'm saying this very quickly, just to, sorry, but soon after that, Haman's evil plan to destroy him and the entire Jewish population, he becomes aware of that plot as well. And naturally, he's devastated. He's, he's thinking, what can we do? The second in command in all the land has, has, is going to wipe out the entire Jewish race 
But what else is he going to wipe out? He's going to wipe out the possibility for God's promises to Israel to even be realised. We're not just talking about the Jews here in, um, in this particular region. We're talking about the Jews throughout all the lands of Persia, which at that time in history was a lot, <laughs> substantial. So he quickly realises we have one chance at this. We have one chance. Don't miss your shot. That's some Eminem quote, in case you don't remember. Um, One hope, Esther. Esther. Esther is the only one who can actually approach the king, send word to the king, tell him about this evil plan, and then intervene on our behalf. So as we'd seen earlier in the story, you you don't don't, um, approach, you don't say no to the king, but what you also don't do is you, you, not, you don't approach a king without, any, without being invited. That's protocol. You, you know, it shows, shows the time, doesn't it? But even the wife of the king could only come when summoned to his presence. And so, naturally, Esther's petrified. She's thinking, this is horrible. This, this, this situation's no good. I, I see what's going to happen to my people, and yet if I do something... I could be killed. Like, this is the dilemma before her. Do I risk my life for this situation? And Mordecai, in some of the the key kind of verses of this whole book, he encourages her and he says, well, Esther, perhaps you were born for such a time as this. Perhaps you are here right now. Like, sure, God, God could... Do something else, but perhaps you're here in the position you are right now to do something about it. And so Esther, kind of buoyed by that, she goes in and she speaks with the king who remarkably hears her out and then, you know, that being the first of countless events that lead to the eventual victory. Not for Haman... And here's the, the beauty of how the story's written. You know, Haman, everything points to Haman's going to win. Mordecai's going to be on the gallows. And then all of a sudden, there's a great reversal. And Mordecai and Esther end up winning. The Jews are saved. And Haman is publicly executed. He gets the very punishment on the massive tall gallows that could be seen throughout the whole city in Persia. That, was, that he'd planned for Mordecai to hang in. And then finally, in Esther 9 through 10, um, the book closes with the, the inauguration or the introduction of what's called the Feast of Purim, a celebration that Jewish people to this day continue to remember as they celebrate everything that's recorded in the book of Esther. So whilst Esther is a engaging kind of roller coaster ride of a story that really wouldn't be out of place in Hollywood. It really wouldn't at all. It's so much more than that. Esther, as a, a little story, points to a far bigger story, a consistent thread, a theme that we've seen over and over again throughout Scripture, the one that's been going all the way through God's story. And what's, what's this thing? What's the thing? Here's the thing. Even when we don't necessarily see it, God's providing for, preserving, 
and caring for his people. Even when we don't necessarily see it, God's working for, he's um, preserving and caring for his people. No question, no question at all. As Esther and Mordecai dealt with threat after threat after threat and challenge after challenge and challenge, they were likely thinking the things that we so often think when we're faced with challenges too. Where's God in all of this? Is God still at work? I don't see any evidence that he's doing anything much at all. You know, for us today, as we live busy, as we live complicated lives, full of challenges, some of them within our control, some of them, as we've discovered in the recent times, some of them well and truly out of our control, it's easy for us to wrestle with these kind of questions too. Where's God in what I'm going through? Is God still at work? I don't see any evidence that he's doing much at all. Where is God? And here's the beauty of the book of Esther. In Esther, we see clearly that God is always involved and he's always caring for his people, even when it's not immediately obvious, even when it's a little bit more hidden or veiled or behind the scenes and he's not explicitly mentioned, God is very much at work in the book of Esther. You know, you, you go through it yourself this week, but let me just share a few of the hints at God's presence in this story. Think about Queen Vashti's downfall. Think about that. One queen fell from power and position, and then an elaborate beauty contest just happened to be called not just for the noble women but for all the women throughout the land, thus opening up the possibility that a little old Jewish girl by the name of Esther, who didn't have a position of influence, didn't have any power in the land, could just so happen to be a part of that and then actually win that contest to be put in a position of power to actually save her people. What about Mordecai just happening to be in the right place at the right time to overhear a threat for the king and then have the opportunity to go and tell Esther, thus saving the king's life and at least planting the seed back then that he was someone who was good, there was someone who could be trusted by the king. What about the king's insomnia? (laughs) Don't worry, if anyone else has insomnia, I'm sure it's not God keeping you awake. But the king's insomnia on the night just before Mordecai's execution. This is remarkable. What happened? Um, Mordecai had told about the plot against the king's life. The king had gone, oh yeah, that's wonderful, thanks very much, and put those to death who were trying to kill him. And then he forgot about it. He forgot about it. But when he was struggling to sleep that night, he does what we normally do and, and reads chronicles of things that have happened in history. It's a good way to go to sleep, isn't it? but he just so happened to read the chronicle about Mordecai and how he had saved uh, King of Persia's life. Isn't that incredible? What about the king's return into Haman and Esther's presence at the very moment 
when Haman, despondent at his evil plan all coming to an end, falls at the feet of Esther on the couch and the king comes in and assumes that his, after all that he's done, he's now trying to dishonour me by having a go at my own wife. Like, it's remarkable really, isn't it? There's plenty more examples. I, and I encourage you this week, read it, enjoy it, and write down all the ways that you see God at work through the book of Esther. Because when we, when we take that time to kind of dig a little deeper and go a little bit further than just the surface level, just what's there, you know, it, we, we see this big picture theme over and over again in God's story. God's actively involved and caring for his people, even when he doesn't seem to be doing much at all. He's working, always. He never stops. Unlike us who should work our hours and then have some rest and sleep, he doesn't sleep. He doesn't stop. He's always interceding. Jesus is always interceding on our behalf continually. He doesn't get tired. He never gets weary. This is the kind of God who works constantly to deliver and shepherd his people. As one writer puts it, the deliverance experience here in Esther is very different from the exodus from Egypt in the time of Moses. There are no signs and wonders, no special revelations, no prophets like, not, no prophet like Moses, and no one even mentions God. Yet the way the story is told makes it clear that even when God is most hidden, he is still present and working to protect and deliver his chosen people. I don't know about you, friends, but the message of Esther is really good news. It's great news for my soul. I've found that life's not always smooth sailing. Life at times can feel completely overwhelming. It can feel like you're just rolling from season into season of challenge and hardship, and you can kind of go, man, what is going on here? Is this, is this the abundant life that I'm meant to be living here, Jesus? What's going on? All of us know that, I would say, and, and all too well, having lived through this COVID pandemic over the last couple of years. And it seems like looking at, our, at the way a whole range of factors are going on in our world at this time with you know, wars and inflation and, and cost of living and all these sort of things, we're going to face some economic challenges. We're going to face some hardships at least for the next couple of years here in Australia. And all of these challenges that we face, they're hard to deal with and they can cause us to, to wonder. That seed perhaps of doubt, of going, well, does God care? Does God care? Is he really kind of doing much to bring relief to my situation? Is he, is he even good at all? Well, the book of Esther encourages us and challenges us to, to see things differently, yeah? To, to recognize that, that God is always at work in our lives, to, to see that God's always at work behind the scenes, divinely, divinely intervening, divinely orchestrating things, 
and working all things together for good, even when we don't see it. Even when we don't see it. You know, you might be facing a a genuine relationship challenge right now. And this challenge might be leaving you in a position where you're feeling like you're fighting it alone. Like you're alone in the battle without any help from God. Can I encourage you today? Know that even when, even while you're not seeing it right now, even though you're not seeing God necessarily working and doing miraculous things in your situation right now, he's at work. He is at work. He's at work in you and he's seeking to bring restoration and wholeness to these relationships. You know, you might be facing a financial challenge that feels completely overwhelming. And short of perhaps your financial counsellor, you feel like you're carrying the weight of the burden alone. And for you, God feels like just so distant, a long, long way away. And I want to encourage you to know this, even though it doesn't feel like it right at this point in time, God is at work. He's at work in you. And as you trust in him and continue to have faith in him and make wise decisions on this earth, because who knows, there's an element of that to Esther as well. God does great things, but we've also got human responsibility to join him in making wise choices. He will bring a resolution to your financial challenges. You might be facing a, a genuine health challenge right now, an ongoing battle with cancer. You may be longing for... You may be longing for children, but facing some significant fertility challenges that you just haven't foreseen. And maybe you're wondering, does God care about me? Does God care about my dreams to have a family? Feels like you're alone. Well, I want to encourage you today. Know this. God is very much still at work in your situation, even though you're not seeing it right now. He is at work. He's working and moving behind the scenes. And he will, in one way or another, he will get you through and make a way. Friends, overall, in all of this, like, what, what do we see from this? We see that God is good and faithful. God is good and faithful to doing what he says he will do. And he remains committed to his people no matter what. God is good and faithful and just and kind. And even when we don't see it on the surface level, we can have confidence that he is very much at work, sovereignly, divinely, behind the scenes, reaching out, treating people with love, care and compassion. And I just got a sense as I was prepping for this today that that he wants to give us an opportunity to have a fresh touch from him today. He just wants to invite us to to reach out and receive some of his encouragement for whatever challenge it is that you're facing today. So maybe we could, I don't know, can we just have some music, John, maybe? Thanks. And we're just going to take a moment. You know, this, as as we've said, this is not an easy thing to do life, is it? It's not an easy thing to do. And for those of us who are in Jesus, we have hope that this life is not all there is, and that makes it easier. 
but it's still really tough at times. And I just, yeah, I just really get the sense that God would like to invite anyone who is struggling under a weight of anything just to come forward to receive that encouragement, to receive a fresh touch from him as some people pray over you for your situations, that you would continue to trust in him and see him at work in some way, even this week, in those things that are really difficult. So let's, uh, let's just take a moment to wait on the Lord. And then if you'd like some prayer, please come forward. Don't miss this opportunity.